Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, so let's go back to our notes. We'll spend a few more moments on this here. So letter E, but we're all clear. Our righteousness is not self-righteousness. It's not legal righteousness. Uh, Our righteousness in Christ. And the Christian life is the life Christ lived then, lived by him now in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1. And if you want to do it, I, you know, I've done so much over the years, is that there's a, about 130 references to being in Christ. I forget how many there are on Christ in you. But see, it's two sides of the same coin. So one side of the coin is, I am now in Christ. We'll come to that. But then, not only am I in Christ, Christ is in me. And what's he come for? To relive his life in us. It takes the effort and self-effort out of it. I'm trying to be a Christian. Stop trying. Say, Lord... Only you can live the Christian life. I want you to relive it in me. That's it. When I heard that truth, it revolutionized my life. Okay, now let's go back uh, to number one here on letter E. So I want to balance all this out now. Imputed, inwrought, and outworked righteousness. So it's imputed. Uh, Just bear bear with me a moment uh, because... I was blessed, blessing myself on this. I looked up the dictionary, Collins Dictionary, uh, Graphic Dictionary, on the word impute. And it's used about, uh, let's see, in Romans 4, it's used one, two, three, four, at least five times, Romans chapter 5, 13. Then it's in James again, impute, impute. So I thought, oh, I'm going to look up this word imputed. And listen to, listen to what it says. It's, it's marvelous. In uh, Collins Dictionary it says, The word impute or imputed is to, re, to reckon, to ascribe, to attribute, to charge to, some, uh, to one as the author or, uh, or occasion of. And then this was the part that struck me. To reckon to one what is not properly his. That's the main thing I want you to pick up. Uh, look up a dictionary anyway. To, to reckon to one what is not properly his. Now, I don't have any righteousness. My righteousness is filthy rags. I don't have legal righteousness, no matter how many laws I try to keep. But God has reckoned God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So I, I want to encourage you to look up this. Now, look, I looked up the word imputation. As you can see, it's written in tongues here. And imputation means the act of charging or attributing to one that, that which really belongs to another. And as, I, as God looks at Christ, 
I'm sorry this is theological, but I hope it blesses you. As God looks at Christ, he sees the only perfect man, the only sinless man that ever walked on this planet Earth. Now Christ is in me. So when God looks at me, he looks at me through Christ. I mean, that, that brings me to tears. So thank you, Father. You see me in Christ with all my faults and everything like that. He sees me in Christ. That's it. You, do you want me to buy a dictionary? <laughs> yeah, the act of uh, charging or attributing to one that which really belongs to another. So it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am righteous in him. All right, now listen to what else it says here. Theologically, it says, the the, I can't read my own writing. The attribution of the sin and guilt of mankind with their penal consequences to Christ so that was what Paul puts it. God has made him sin to be sin who knew no sin. He's made, his sin, made him sin for us. And then it says, the attribution of Christ's sufferings and death with his meritorious righteousness to those that believe in his name. That's read out the dictionary. <laughs> So let me read that one more time. The attribution of Christ's sufferings and death with his meritorious righteousness to those that believe in his name. As I've just scribbled in red, it's still true whether we understand it or not. It's still true. I didn't understand it when I first came to Christ. But I'm learning, you know. As I said, the more I know, the less I know. Now... If you want to, uh, depends on your translation, but go back to Romans chapter 4 and I'll give you the verses where the word impute is used. And I'm reading Old King James and New King James. So the word impute is, um, it's in Romans 4 verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin or reckon sin or attribute it to him. Blessed is the man. That's verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. Then in verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of, of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they uh, be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So how many are the seed of Abraham here? Abraham is the father of all who believe. So it was imputed to him, attributed to him, reckoned to him, imputed to him. Verse 22, the next use of the word impute. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, oh, verse 22, sorry. And therefore was imputed to him for righteousness. Imputed righteousness. 
Now it was written not for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus from the dead. I believe, you believe, amen? And it's imputed to us. So that's why I've got number one, imputed righteousness. Now, one other scripture I want, and I'd like to uh, get you to read the scriptures here. Uh, Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Sorry to be so fanatical, but I feel good. Romans, uh, First uh, Corinthians fifteen and verse twenty-two. It's on your on your note there. Verse twenty-two and verse twenty-two says, "For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive." I'd like you to put down on your notes that we have had a change of position. In Adam, we were made unrighteous. But in Christ, so I'm no longer in Adam. That's a fact. It's a biblical fact, whether we believe it or not. Well, you know, there's a fact they are believing. But whether we understand or not, it's a biblical fact. So I've been taken out of being in Adam, and I've had a change of position I'm now in Christ. Does that make you feel good? Yes. See? Uh, not, not good in myself. So it's wonderful. I'm no longer in Adam. I'm in Christ. That's it. <laughs> so, and not only am I in Christ, but Christ is in me. Okay, now let's go to the next part. Number two, inwrought righteousness. So let's go back to Philippians Where we started, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Now let's uh, go through the, uh, we'll go to chapter 3 first of all and then go back a little bit. Chapter 3 verse 12 and 13. So what does Paul say? Um... Yeah, not as though I had already attained, either ready, uh, either were already perfect, and I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, for which also I am appre- apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, But this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, okay, I keep pressing on, I'm pressing on. How many are pressing on with me? We're not already perfect. Christ is perfect and Christ is in me, but I'm not there. eh? Christ is in me. Now, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Somebody asked me this question before. It's still not the verse I'm after. Yeah? Philippians 
yes, that, that's the one I... Uh, have I got the wrong one, wrong scripture? That's possible, okay. Let's go back, sorry, thanks Margaret. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, yeah, chapter 2, and verse 12 and 13, that's right. Someone asked me this question before, and I said, well, just a moment... What about working out? And see, lots of preachers quote this verse, and I used to, until I thought, I'm only reading one verse. Work out your own salvation. How many have heard that? You've got to work at it. No, just a, just a moment. Verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have all always obeyed, not uh, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out, and I'd recommend that you circle the words work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, comma, or semicolon. Verse 13 belongs to verse 12. For it is God who, what? Say, everybody say it with me. Works in. So I circled work out what God works in. Now, two little words I want you to put there. Working in is divine sovereignty. Working out is human responsibility. That's it. Have you got it? So in wrought righteousness, I've got it on your notes there in seed form, work out as God works in. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. So I say, Lord, you work in me. You've imputed righteousness to me. Now imputed righteousness has to be inwrought righteousness. That's it. But I'm not struggling and striving. And I say, God, I can only work out as you work in. That takes away all the... Do you, do you feel good about this? You know, that's, that's, that's the life I work out. I'm not perfect by any means, but as God works in. And he's been working in me over some 60 years. What, I was a kid of 14 in the Salvation Army when I gave my heart to Christ, or he received me. And he's been working in, working in. And as he works in, divine sovereignty, then I can work out. I, I really hope you're getting hold of this. It takes all the effort out. Say, God, work in me. I've imputed righteousness. Now work in, uh, out. Work in me, and then I can work it out. Wow. And then number, number three, outwork righteousness. If you go down to, like, Matthew chapter 25, verse 20... <clears throat> I'll do that in the last part. Yeah. So in Revelation 19, verse 8, sorry, uh, the righteous acts are the righteousness of the saints. So what I'm saying here is God imputed his righteousness to me in Christ. I'm no longer, no longer in Adam. I'm in Christ. Now, he works in me, and as he works in me, I can work out what he works in. That's my part, and that's God's part. And then as I do that, 
It's Christ reliving his life in and through you. I've given you that. So it's just Christ. What is really being a Christian? It's just Christ reliving his life in us as Christians. That's it. The church is not, not the body of Jesus. The church is the body of Christ. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, now let's go to a conclusion. I hope that's made sense to you. All right, now, conclusion. Keep the balance between works before salvation and works after salvation. Now, I'd like you to uh, uh, just uh, do this little diagram here. Um, Where is it? Yeah. As uh, we bring this session to a close. Okay, we'll see how this goes. Okay, very, very simple. Just put the cross here. And then what I want you to do is works before sal- uh, works, yeah. Works before salvation. Because in my mind, a, a lot of preachers, well, I want not say by works, just a moment. Works before salvation. I'll just abbreviate this. And then this side of the cross works after salvation. Okay, now on this side, I want you to put the scriptures uh, number one and two. They, they may be on your notes there. Uh, yes. He, uh, here, I'll, I'll just say it and then you, you can put the scriptures. We have dead works and they're referred to in Hebrews chapter 6 and also chapter 9. Repentance from dead works. Now, what are dead works? Dead works are dead works, in this case, of the law. So when Paul talks about circumcision and other stock of Israel and all those things and Pharisee and everything like that, they were dead works, religious dead works. But then, number two, we have another group of works in uh, Galatians, which are all called works of the flesh. And this is of the uh, unregenerate man. This is the religious man, dead works of the law, but these are works of the flesh. So it talks about in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. So keeping the balance of works before salvation. Now, I want you to go over to chapter... Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, we'll read verses 4 through to 10. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, I'd encourage you to mark your Bible. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, I'm reading from New King James, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. And it has raised us up together. So 
quicken together, raise up together, and made us sit together. So we're quickened together, we're raised up together, we're quickened together, we're sitting together in heavenly places in Christ. Then he says in verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Now it's works before salvation, lest any man should boast. So, you know... But then, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So before the cross, dead works, works of the flesh. But after the cross, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And then on your notes there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, I think it is. Jesus said here, after salvation, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your, what? Good works and glorify, not you, glorify your Father in heaven. So we've got to understand the difference between works before the cross whether they're dead works or works of the flesh, which need to be repented of, or works after salvation. And every church Jesus writes to to in the book of Revelation, he starts off with a sentence, I know your works, I know your works, I know your works. Repent and do the first works. So we've got to understand works for salvation or works after salvation. So we work out as God works in. So that's uh, really important. And then uh, I'll finish on this. Let's go to the second bullet there. Paul illustrates that Abraham and David <clears throat> were justified or made righteous by faith. That's in Romans 4. Uh, next bullet. James illustrates that A- Abraham and Rahab were justified or evidenced righteousness by works. So, bullet four, there's no contradiction between Paul and James. Faith and works. So, Paul says, we are saved by faith, and then James says, we are saved by works. But not dead works. What Jesus says. So, faith and works go together, so there's imputed, inward, and outward righteousness I think this is balance. Huh. How are you doing? How's that? Does that? Is that balance? Has it come across balance? That's the main thing. So that we don't go to extreme. Well, I'm righteous in Christ. It doesn't matter what I do. No. Christ is in me reliving his life. That's it. Huh. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Exactly. And see, the uh, Israel and the Pharisees, they rejected the faith righteousness. Of, that was the stumbling stone to them. I think I gave you a wrong scripture there too. 
Uh, yeah, it's 520. Uh, 520. Uh, oh, uh, chapter 5 and verse 16. If you want to put that down. Uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's... Have I got it down? Whereabouts? Oh, okay. Well, thank you. I don't know what I've got myself down. All right. Uh, any, qu- any questions on what we've done so far? You've done marvellous. All right, what do you want to do now? We've got uh, about 20 minutes. You want another? All right, let's go for our final session here uh, tonight. That'll, that'll be enough. I've, I've tried to give you the eight lessons, even though we were cut out one day. Uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, no, it'll be uh, lesson seven. Um, I've got it here. Okay, let's uh, end up on a a little bit more joyful note here. (laughs) Okay, so session seven, and I'll just do a few moments here, and and then I think you've had enough. Okay, uh, now you notice the title of this session seven, which you should have got tonight. Uh, It's page 14. Is I've called this biblical, biblical, biblical rejoicing and true joy. All right, scripture reading. I want you to put this scripture down. That's not on your notes, and we'll only do a few moments on this. And uh, Uh, go to Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six. And I'm sorry to uh, be like this. I feel a little bit tired as an old man. <laughs> okay, Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter six. And the verses I'd like you to put down where where we've got scripture reading is uh, verses 1 through to 10. And I'm going to read from uh, New King James here, and it depends on your translation. But I want you to note uh, the words in, it depends on your translation, I said, in verses 4 and 5. In uh, Old King James, it's used 12 times, the word in. And then Old King James again, the word by, verses 6 to 8a, and that's used 11 times. And then uh, the word as, so in, by, as, is used verses... uh, uh, 8b to 10 as used six times. So uh, just bear with me 
if you've got another translation here. All right, so in, by, as. I want you to notice a, a thing here as we introduce it. All right, so in verse 2 he says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Uh, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry uh, be not blamed. Now, notice the word in. Uh, and uh, as, I, as I said, it's, it's old King James. But in... All things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. So all those verses there, in, 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 uh, at least 12 times, uh, only in King James. Then verse 6 onwards is uh, 8a, is the word uh, by. Then verse 6, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the uh, power of God, by the arm of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honour and dishonour, by evil report and good report. Then it changes to the word as. And you'll notice right through to verse 10, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful. Now, I want you to pick up this, uh, I've read all that to do this. I want you to pick up this sentence, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I'll come back to that in a moment. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, then finishing the verse, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. So we have in those verses, Old King James, of course, uh, in, by, and as. Now, because of what we're ending our session on, biblical rejoicing and true joy, uh, I'll, I'll read here introductory. As seen in the previous le- uh, session, uh, keynote last week that was, uh, key words are the words rejoicing and joy. There are some 18 references to this word and related words on this theme. Philippians is the epistle of rejoicing and joy. Brother Lawrence of the Roman Church says words of this effect. Joy is an infallible sign of the presence of God in a believer's life. I think that's uh, true. A victorious Christian is a joyful Christian. How many to believe that basically City Life Church is a joyful church? We're a happy bunch of people. I mean, even in the torture like this. We're generally, we're happy people. I mean, one of the comments I get, you know, from visitors say... Your people seem so happy. <laughs> you know, don't be like the guy in America where he, he said, will you come to church? He said, no. He said, when I see the faces of the people that come out after the church, I think, what do they do to them there? <laughs> he said, no thanks. See, we're generally a happy people. I feel happy. But now, let me balance this out. In, the, in this uh, book here, or this uh, little session I'm going to do here, 
there's a, what I call a divine paradox. And I looked up the word paradox just to make sure. It's actually a contradiction. Seemingly absurd, yet it's, I can't even read my mind. Anyway, it's a contradiction. So now, when we look at the cross, as we did last week, the cross was the biggest contradiction. It was the biggest paradox. Jesus said in his life, my father's always with me. Yet on the cross, contradiction. He says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he, he, he said in his ministry, he that comes after me will never thirst. Yet on the cross, he says, I thirst. And I could go through a dozen statements of what Jesus said on the cross and what he said in his ministry. Absolute contradiction, as a, as a paradox. And see, I was thinking of, you know, my final session here. That Jesus was a man of sorrows, and yet we're told he rejoiced in spirit. And then before he went to the cross, he said, my joy might be in you, that your joy will be fulfilled for a full. And then it says in Hebrews, uh, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. So Christian life, sometimes I feel sad. I mean, like last night, my wife and I were reading about this terrible guy. I mean, that's all I can say. Uh, this doctor in America who's committed so many abortions and the cruel way it's legalized murder. And I think, oh God, this is terrible. I, I don't, I, I don't want to fill your minds uh, with it. It was just ter- terrible. And some of the abortions, we have a hundred thousand abortions in Australia a year, and some of the cruel doctor death murders that they do. That makes me sad. And then same-sex marriage, and where's our families going? And the attack on our kids in the educational system of five and six years of age being talk, talked about, you know, all e- moral evil. So what's happening? Now that makes me sad. And yet on the other hand, I rejoice. So, so it's a contradiction. Paul, sorrowful and yet rejoicing. So we experience those things. So we have to realize it's the paradox of God. When Jesus is in Gethsemane, he said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto, de- unto death, and yet the, the joy that we set before him. So we have these paradoxes. Okay, so uh, let's back to our notes here, and I do want to finish uh, on time. So a victorious Christian is a joyful Christian. Word rejoice you some ten times in these scriptures. Rejoice, rejoicing, and the word joy some six times. Biblical rejoicing and uh, joy. That's why I've called it biblical rejoicing and true joy. It's necessary to understand what biblical rejoicing and biblical joy really is. It must not be mistaken for what the world system speaks of as joyfulness and rejoicing for the world. Maybe a time of drunkenness. Oh, we had a good time. Frivolity, drug taking, dancing, numerous other activities and say, yeah, that's it. Um, number one, 
biblical joy and rejoicing is a fruit of the Spirit. So it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5. Jesus prayed that my joy might be in you. And I've put some scriptures there. The kingdom of God and, uh, has these characteristics and always this order. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When, when we fall out of righteousness and right living and Christ reliving his life in us, we lose our peace, we lose our joy. It's just that order. And people are wanting peace and joy in the world, but they don't want righteousness. The kingdom of God, and we're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. They're, they're things. It's always in this order. Biblical rejoicing joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, whether good or bad, comfortable or distressful. And then we see this in the Philippian epistle there, Paul and Silas, or Philippian church, we should say. Paul and Silas have cast out a demon, a fortune telling out of the woman. The multitude rose up against them. The magistrates tore up their clothes. Paul and Silas are beaten with many stripes, flogged. They are cast in, into the inner prison as the jailer is given charge to keep them. The jailer casts them into the inner prison, the dungeon, Amplified says, also put their feet in stocks. So under the circumstances, you know, when people say to me, how are you doing? Oh, not bad under the circumstances. I say, what are you doing under them? <laughs> because we're supposed to be seated in heavenly places, Right? So when people say to you, oh, not too bad under the circumstances, just say to them, Brother Connor says, what are you doing under the circumstances? The circumstances should be under you. (laughs) Not too many amens on that. (laughs) Under the circumstances, there was nothing to rejoice in, physically or circumstantially, nothing. But at the midnight hour, Paul and Silas prayed. And they sang praises to God, singing hymns of praises to God. The prisoners listened to them. And as we said last week, God stepped in, tapped his foot. The earth is his footstool. So God started tapping on his footstool, sent an earthquake. Foundation of the prison was shaken. The prison's doors opened. Their chains fell off. My chains fell off. Jailer, thinking every, everybody had escaped. And this escape would have been from a Roman jailer, the jailer's life being at stake, took a sword and was about to kill himself. Paul called out. The end result was the jailer and his household were saved. In fact, the Amplified, which agrees with my doctrine, says the jailer leaped much for joy, jumping up and down and exalted with all his family that he believed in God, accepting and joyously welcoming what he had known through Christ. Hallelujah. Don't you feel good about that? Paul and Silas could not rejoice and be under those circumstances or with their physical sufferings, as we cannot in like circumstances. It was the fruit of the Spirit. It was the joy of the Lord. And here Paul in prison, not in Philippi, but in Rome, not a comfortable place at all. I mean, jail in Rome, they didn't get a television, telephone, telegram, telewoman. Uh, fastest means of communication. Uh, there was none of that. I mean, you know, Paul's in Rome. And they, they weren't like our prisons today. <laughs> but he wrote 
on rejoicing and joy. Other scriptures, Jesus enjoyed, endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. John's joy was to hear the bridegroom's voice. Israel was to be, uh, rejoice in the feast of Israel. And this is interesting, this one. Failure to enjoy the family of sons and daughters would bring about captivity. God said, if you don't enjoy your sons and the daughters and rejoice in them, I'll put you into captivity. And some people go into spiritual captivity. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. Amen. Is that physically so or spiritually so? Or is it both? both. I like both because I get tired. So, oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> and I'm, I'm off to sleep. That's my wife. Okay, the disciples rejoice that they were worthy to suffer for the name. The seven disciples were to rejoice not in demons being cast out in Jesus' name, but that their names were written in the book of life. That's what we rejoice in, the numerous other scriptures. All right, my final comments. Conclusion, the secret of it all. Biblical rejoicing and joy is found in this secret. Rejoice, and everybody say the next words with me. Rejoice in the Lord. So you don't rejoice in your circumstances. I don't rejoice in what's going on in Australia on some areas, but I rejoice in the Lord. Everybody said amen. Our names are written in the book of life, so we rejoice regardless how Christ may be preached. Paul did rejoice over converts in the day of Christ, rejoice with various ministries, rejoice in the Lord, not under the circumstances. Circumstances, good or bad. Rejoice for the care of other saints. Pray with joy. Faith, love, unity and humility in the church is the source of biblical joy. Stand fast in the Lord is the cause for true joy. Everybody said amen. Amen. So let's stand and you can go away this week rejoicing in the Lord. Everybody said amen. God bless you. And thank you so much. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.